0: details hello everybody and welcome to the blizzard watch podcast i'm your host matt with me this week's my fantastic co-host joe joe how you doing i am doing well how about yourself uh all life is pain and i'm i'm Dying inside, crawling in my skin. These wounds, they, they will not heal. Uh, anyway. <laughs> that is the second time today I've heard somebody recite that. Yeah, what can I tell you? Um, I used to actually think that was a little overwrought, but nowadays I'm, I'm pretty pretty on board with that that whole lyric. But yeah, they, they uh, kind of just move straight into stuff today, guys, because uh, Ian Hazacostas, who's the game director for, for World of Warcraft, if you don't know, um, and I don't know how you don't know, but nevertheless... Uh, he did an interview today. Uh, he was on a live stream, Zoltan TV, uh, and we, we really don't have the like, ability to go over everything because, for one thing, it was you know it was a live stream on Twitch. Yeah. So basically, you have to go by live blogs and so forth. But uh, one of the things we, we do know for certain is that if you play a demon hunter and you've always wanted to have more than one demon hunter on your server but you can't because there's a restriction. There are Demon Hunters. have You can only have one per server. That's going away in Shadowlands uh, because Demon Hunters will no longer start at a super high level because everybody can level through every expansion now, and you could start Legion at level 10 and get to level 50 through it. Mm-hmm. As a result of that, that's the level Demon Hunters and Death Knights and Monks will start at. Uh, I think it's demon hunters and death knights start at level eight, and then they go through their starting experience, and that gets them to level ten. I don't know if monks just start at level one like everybody else, because they used to.
1: Yeah, I don't know about that uh, either. It would make sense if they did, but
0: I haven't actually tried. That's my bad. I'm in the ba- the alpha, so I totally could, and I just forgot. Um, but we do know that demon hunters and demon hunters and death knights start at eight and then go to level ten. Uh, if you're playing an allied race character you will also start at level 10. You will not even have a, a starting experience. You'll just be level 10, and you can pick what expansion you're going to go to. Again, unless this is your first character. But So if, if you're playing a Demon Hunter and you've always liked Demon Hunters and wanted to have more than one on your server, uh, I don't know what kind of lunatic plays more than one of a certain class. That's just crazy talk. But if that's the kind of thing you want to do... Uh, Joe is probably right now choking on me saying that considering both of us play more than one of this, of different classes. Um, uh, he's he's got more than one shaman I've got 30 like, something warriors in various levels.
1: yeah um, but Although I was yes. gonna say uh, sage time does say that uh, in chat that only dKs and demon hunters start above one. confirm.
0: okay, and allied races. yeah, Allied races start above one as well.
1: but yeah, so so
0: you'll be able to like now play de- multiple demon hunters in the same server if you want to. And they've done that because quite frankly, it's not going to matter anymore. Right now, if you start if you start a demon a, a, a demon hunter, you start at level one hundred. You jump frog right over a ton of content. Uh, and if you are trying to get a, a character up to max level fast, that's a huge lead. It's it's, it's great. Uh, so they didn't want people to have like ten demon hunters on one server all at level like max level. I understand why they did that, but it's not necessary anymore. So that's going away. Um, I'm I think that's great. I don't know what you think about it, Joe. Uh, I think it's fine. I think it's All good. The other thing to mention from from the interview that Ian did was they were talking about the 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 delay that people are talking about for uh, Shadowlands. You've heard Joe and I both say that we thought there would probably be a delay, uh, and and Ian basically made sure to say that there isn't going to be a delay. That they are committed to getting the game out uh, in 2020. Now, keep in mind. If you go look at your pre-order, if you've pre-ordered Shadowlands already, if you go look at it, it says on or before December 31st, 2020. So when Ian says it'll be out in 2020, what he is saying is we haven't come up with a date for it yet, so it can't, by definition, be late. Mm -hmm. You can't delay it when we haven't announced when it's coming out. But he also said, uh, and this is something he directly said that they've after an initial, you know, hiccup because they were like retooling to figure out how to, how to work from home. They've actually been very productive and that he doesn't believe there will be a delay for the game. Uh, I hope he's right. I think that would be great. Um, I, I have a hard time believing it, but you know, I do know that this, this is a team full of really talented people. And if they, if they're telling me they can do it, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but yeah, uh, Since you and I both talked about it, Joe, I want, well, let's, what do you think? Let's get your reaction in here.
1: I am surprised. Um, I think it's a good thing if they can deliver on that. Um, I am excited to hear that they've been super productive from home. Uh, But I am also, I, this is just me in the back of my mind is one of those things when you work from home all of the time, Uh, When you're used to working in an office all the time, sometimes you overdo it uh, and you burn yourself out. And I'm hoping that that isn't what's going to wind up happening, because if that happens to too many people all at once, it's terrible when it happens to anyone. But if it happens in mass, then, you know, there's your delay right there. So I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that things will stay on track and everything's going to be great. Uh, I was really, really shocked to hear that, though.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's a bunch more in the interview, but like I said, it literally just came out today, and Joe and I basically just got time to look at it once.
1: Um, the, there was one other so thing that did catch my eye, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, which is just the uh, there was a statement that was made that I don't think I've heard him say before, which is that the team could do a better job of listening to feedback. Yes. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard them admit that.
0: Oh, no, they did it like last year. He's admitted that plenty of times. I'll say what you want about Ian. He's never had a hard time admitting that they have a trouble. I think the last time they talked about it, he made the point that sometimes it's hard to implement feedback. Like you get it, but there's not much you can do with it because in order to actually change direction would be a a big deal.
1: Yeah, especially, like, in the interview he was talking about, like, a lot of that in the past had to do with uh, changes coming out late in development cycles. So, like, that's why one of the reasons why they're trying to push so many things so quickly to get feedback now, so that if something needs to pivot or change, they can. And it that all combined just seems like a much more mature approach than how they've been doing it in the past, which is, like, even in Battle for Azeroth with the beta stuff, like, they were making really deep changes, like a couple weeks before the game released and like you can't always do that and be effective and you can see that sometimes. So the fact that they're they're they have that in mind now, that's good. That shows growth. Yep. Um,
0: I will also mention uh, one thing I, I heard people talking about was uh, there, there wasn't, he mentioned that they are thinking about, they have not committed to, they are thinking about, Doing Burning Crusade for for classic. They they don't have anything to announce. They have they, but it is what they are thinking about doing next. If they do anything else, it would be Burning Crusade. Uh, it's not going to be Burning Crusade and Wrath at the same time. It's not going to skip straight to Wrath. It's going to be if they do anything, it will be Burning Crusade. But that's that's just that's as far as they've gotten. That's all they've got to announce on that subject. Um. Which, you know, I don't think anyone's surprised. But I thought it should be mentioned. Yeah, I agree. But now that we've talked about that, we've we've covered it to a degree. There's not really a whole heck of a lot else to talk about uh, announcement-wise. The Alpha's still trucking along. They released uh, they released Revendreth last week. Uh, I've been there. It's cool. It's creepy. Um, I, I think I said in one of the things I wrote about it that it reminded me of Ravenloft.
1: Yeah, and that's what a lot of people are saying.
0: It definitely has a Ravenloft vibe. So since we know that that's happening, we can, you know, pretty much just stipulate it and then move on. So we've got a bunch of emails this week. And and of course, some stuff from, from uh, discord as well. So Joe, if you don't mind reading them, Not oh, wait, yet. Before, before you do, um, do I thing. almost forgot. Uh, if you want to send us an email, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line, podcast or blizzard watch. So we know it's for this show. Um, Unless you ask a Diablo question, and then I'm going to yoink it and put it in this email, uh, because that wasn't fair, man. You can't just go (laughs) throwing Diablo questions at me. Uh, Or you can ask questions on Discord. We have a a patron Q&Podcast question channel, and and I'm totally willing to go look at that. And Joe's going to be trying to keep an eye on chat this week, and he'll throw stuff in when he gets a chance. Absolutely. Uh, Go ahead, Joe.
1: All right, our first question. Hello to the Frozen Air Watchers. I've played every expansion... Uh, to include vanilla, but that doesn't mean I've never taken breaks. Sometimes very long breaks from the game for various reasons. So I missed the battle for Undercity completely. I've heard people talk about it, but unfortunately I cannot go back and experience it myself because of its removal from the game. But it seems like such an important lore moment, especially going into Shadowlands and the focus on Sylvanas. Can you guys kind of give a narrative of the lore, the playing of, and your own takes on the experience? Please let me see this moment through, through your recollection. Thank you so much. Also, uh, I love that lore watches weekly. Now you guys rock. Uh, this is from Daddy uh, Torn Warrior Tank from Lightbringer US. Well, I guess I'm gonna have to say thanks, Daddy, uh, for your continued support. And I'm glad you enjoy the show. So, what do you think, Matt? Um, I mean, that's that's a lot, but I mean, it's, we a, could it's try. a whole lot.
0: Basically, um, I'll tell you right now, uh, you can still kind of get a sense of it because you can still do the stuff. That's that's in uh Blade. And especially if you're Horde, I recommend doing that stuff. Like do the whole Dragonblade questing experience and get up to the Wrathgate moment. Because it is it is such a rug pullout moment if you're playing as horde. Um get get up to that moment. Then what happens basically after you get to that moment are you going to talk about this? Like, should I just say what happens in that moment? Like go for it. Yeah. Basically, if you're Horde, you, you do a whole bunch of stuff for the local forsaken who are like, you know, there because they want to, they, they're against the Lich King. And so you do a bunch of stuff for them. And then when you get up to the Wrathgate, you're there with a bunch of other Horde. You're there with, uh, with Saurfang's son, uh, yep. Drenosh.
1: Drenosh me,
0: You'll hear that name again. If you ever run, uh, Icecrown citadel. Um, and as you're preparing to go in, uh, the Horde and the Alliance together are going to go up, and it's like a this is the most unified ever. Like, it's even more unified than when the Might of Kalimdor existed. This is the Horde and Alliance standing shoulder to shoulder uh, going up
1: against the Lich King. Yep, they're right on and his doorstep at this point.
0: As he comes out to confront them, and there's a whole back and forth, uh, Sorfang charges. Sorfang, the, the younger, charges the Lich King thinking he can take him out one-on-one. Doesn't work well for him. Uh, he gets his his father's axe gets destroyed, and he gets his soul ripped out of his body. Again, you'll you'll see him again in, in Ice Crown Citadel. But basically, he gets death knighted. Uh, he gets his soul ripped out of his body by Frostmorn, and then before Bolvar can say or do much of anything other than make a threat, the there's a sudden explosion, and Arthas says that he he's like Sylvanas. He thinks it's Sylvanas, but it's not. It's the the Forsaken apothecary Putres, who you've been working for as a Horde member. You've been doing quests for this guy. You've, yeah, you've been helping
1: you, him set this all up.
0: And he he basically says, "Did you think we have you know? Did you think we have forgotten? Did you think we had forgiven? Now face the terrible vengeance of the Forsaken. Death to the scourge and death to the living. And as you stand there." He bombs everybody, including you. Yep. Including the horde. He hits everybody with the up the new and improved plague. And it's bad enough to make the Lich King wretch. Like the Lich King runs away. There's no other way to describe it. He hasn't run particularly fast because he's the Lich King and he's wearing like three and a half tons of armor. But yeah, he does not stick around. And from there, after that happens, you get sent back where you go to you go to orgamar brought to report to Thrall that the forsaken have turned on the horde and Sylvanas is right there. And she's like, "Yeah, they totally kicked me out of Undercity." And Thrall, you know, saddles up with you and you go to get the de- it turns out that Varimothras, the demon that we last saw in Legion, had turned on Sylvanas after working for her for years. Um if you played in, in Classic or TBC or even the beginning of Wrath, Faramathras was right there in the undercity right next to Sylvanas. He was always there. But he had he had betrayed her and made a deal with Putress and to, the Royal Apothecary Society. Yep, yep, to turn on to turn on Sylvanas and take over undercity. So Sylvanas and Thrall and you go to undercity to take over. Meanwhile on the alliance side, Varian loses himself cuz Bolvar... Ooh. Yeah, his Bolvar best friend yeah, Bolvar was his friend. Bolvar was the one who who took over and protected his son while Anyxia was trying to destroy the kingdom. Bolvar was like the regent lord that that ruled so, so Stormwind while Varian was off getting, you know, magically torn apart and put back together and all that stuff. So this is a guy who spent uh, like much of Anduin's early years were spent learning under Bolvar. If you played Alliance at the time, you remember Bolvar from the Anixia quest, where like he beat the heck out of multiple dragons by himself. Uh, so Bolvar's death set Varian off, and Varian was like, "No, we're gonna, we're done letting them do this to Undercity. We're done letting you know. We're done with letting Undercity exists in the ruins of Lordaeron. We're done letting them mock all the people we lost." And he like goes to Undercity with a full army, and he's mad. So. At the same time, Thrall and Sylvanas are going in through one direction, Varian's leading an alliance military force through the other direction.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so each of them kills one of the important people. The Horde take on uh, and inside Sylvanas' throne room, while the Alliance fight Putras inside where the uh, Apothecaries. And by the way, if you've ever heard people say things like the Horde likes to torture civilians and they have a bunch of gnomes in cages and all that, this is where we're talking about it from, because that's where you find them. Yeah. They have a whole bunch testing of, like, Alliance citizens that they're they're testing the plague on. And even gnomes, dwarves, humans, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. So you kill Putris. Uh, if you're playing Alliance side, you and Varian kill Putris. If you're playing Horde side, you kill Varimothris. This, by the way, is the, the location of the first time we hear Sargeras speak in World of Warcraft, because when Varimothris is losing... He like calls out to to Sargeras for aid. Doesn't say his name, but that's who he's calling out to. And Sargeras is like, "You've you've disappointed me for the last time." And that's the first time we hear Sargeras talk in World of Warcraft. Uh, what am I leaving out? You go.
1: I think you covered most of the major beats. Like the the whole point of it is like, this is the big setup for a whole lot of things that are are going to wind up happening years and years and years down the road. Right. Like the whole Varimothers thing, his his defeat is what feeds into when we find him in Legion uh, and that whole thing and everything that happens there. Uh, this leads into the whole Bolvar thing with him becoming the Lich King and and everything that happens there. Like this is one of the most important moments, uh, the Wrathgate and this, the battle for the Undercity. Um, let's see. I think I think the other big thing to note too was I think the aftermath of it. So Varamathir's putres were killed, and then you have Varian who confronts Thrones of Silvanus. They fight a little bit. Uh, Lady uh, Jaina Proudmoore intervenes and freezes the combatants and teleports the Alliance forces out. Uh, and honestly, like that sets the tone for a lot of years after this because Varian very clearly was going to win, like. There was no doubt in, and my mind is a horde player at the time, that Varian was going to win that fight, and if Jaina didn't intervene, it would have been a whole different ball game. Um, let's see, then uh that's where the Korcrong guard with uh what is his name, Bloodfist? I want to say Bloodfist. Like, yeah, I think so. Goes to the apothecarium, completely like destroys it and then starts occupying the undercity. And that's where we start to see that sort of uh big brother esque uh, orc thing going on. Like this moment defines so many more years that come afterwards with the Corcoran, with what happens with Garrosh after that, with, you know, Varian's sort of disposition with Jaina and, and how she still is protecting the horde and just, particular protecting thrall when most people at this point are already starting to think she should stop like it's it's hard to there are a handful of moments in this game where you look back and you say that was definitely a turning and where they started making a decision this is one of them right this is one of the things where like they started to figure out where they were going to go narratively for the next several years and expansions
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yep so,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with all that.
1: <laughs> uh, as far as like the reactions, because I think that's the next big part of it, it's looking at this as a player, because I was doing this as Horde. I'm, you were Alliance at the time, right?
0: Actually, I played both Alliance and Horde back
1: then. Okay. But I mean, as a Horde player for me, it was one of those moments where like, and I, I played both at that time too, because that was Wrath. Um, it was weird because. That's one of those things where, like, I'm starting to realize this band of misfits has a blind spot, and if they were so trusting of Vera to begin with, like, that was real dumb on uh, Sylvanas's part. Like, that was, to me, out of character as far as that goes. Like, why would she trust him so much? And that winds up happening. And then I realize that that sets her tone, too, like that further sends her down that path of distrust, that further path of all that big brother spying and everything else, like because she has to know what's going on and this increased paranoia. And actually, I'll be I'll
0: be completely up front with you. Sure. Since I knew Sylvanas was the one who ordered that plague made in the first place, I have never been entirely sure that she didn't know exactly what he was doing. And decided to let it happen to justify clearing them out. And but, but the, the whole thing with the Corcoran in the words of of Terenzu, where are they now? By letting the Corcoran do what they did by letting them occupy Undercity and watch her, she set them up so that when Garrosh eventually went too far they were they got taken out. And now there's no Corcron. Like yep. When she true. became war chief, there was nobody to watch her. There was nobody in charge. Like it's it's fascinating. I'm not 100% on this, but I think Vermithras says things in Legion that make me think I'm right. Like when Vermithras is like you poor fools, you have no idea what you're dealing with with her. Yeah. You know, I think that's there's there's a lot to it. There's a ton of stuff that happened in the Rathgate and and in battle for, in the battle for undercity. I do think they should put it out again as a scenario or something.
1: I I think they well, should too. I think it's one of those things that players should experience or have the ability to experience even if it's just a scenario. I I 100% agree. I'm trying to think is there any anything else we want to add on that? Do we think? I think I'm pretty good. I think we covered the thing. Yeah, I think so too. Alright, so hopefully that answers your question, Daddy, and uh, hopefully you get a little feel for it. And hopefully, if any of the folks at Blizzard are listening, maybe that could be one of your next projects. Make it a scenario. Let let players experience it again. Uh, A next question comes from Perilous, who is a Death Knight. Uh, A friend and I got into a verbal tussle today. Uh, Are the current Wrath-type Death Knights undead? They're Not Forsaken-type, well, unless you roll a Forsaken Death Knight, Recovered Scourge Undead... My opinion is that they're not, as they've had their souls reamed out and are emotional vampires dependent on suffering to survive. His opinion is that, unlike Forsaken in general, Death Knights need to breathe and are thus living, not undead. I, I don't know, man. I have an interesting
0: thought about this the other day when I was playing my Death Knight and on the, on the uh, Alpha, and I saw that Lichborn's back. I don't know if Lichborn's actually still in the game right now, but my character had it on the beta on the alpha. And I started thinking about the fact that Lichborn, you channel necrotic energy to temporarily become undead. If I'm already undead, why am I temporarily becoming? undead?
1: Yeah. And I mean, if we go by the, the Terran gore sort of like stasis, it's not technically undead because it is a living soul inside of a vessel. So it's kind I mean, of like it's, in between?
0: It's it's interesting to think about. It's it's the use of necromantic magic to rip the soul out of the body and then jam it back either into the body or into somebody else's body. And I think the body did die. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it counts currently as undead. But I'm not 100% on this. Like if Blizzard came out tomorrow and said, oh no, they're undead, I'm willing to accept that. Because the whole thing with like the, the psychic vampire who needs pain and suffering to survive, that's a pretty undead thing to be. Um, but I'm also willing to accept the idea that there's some kind of quasi-undead. because yeah. like, Here's the thing. Bolvar isn't undead. Bolvar is worse. Bolvar is, should be dead, but the power of the Red Dragonflight is keeping him alive. That's before he put on the helmet and became the Lich King. So he's actually worse than undead. And I think it's possible you can view the undead, the, the death knights as a similar kind of thing where they're in a state between life and death.
1: So they are undead, but they're not undead. Here's a, here's a weird question for you. And I'm just starting to think about this. There's a lot of death knights that were formerly warriors or followers of the light and the divine path that have been, you know, in previous things, their bodies twisted, but here their souls are being shoved back into their bodies. And it rings very similar to like what happened with Kalia. Like with, with, with Madam she's a creature that's not quite undead, but not really alive. She's a, a, a fusion of death and life essentially into one vessel but Death Knights kind of did it first. They're sort of the hipsters of that whole process, if you really think about it. Like, look at um, why can't I think of her name? White Mane. Like, she was a High Priest of the Light. She was a disciplined Priest. She was definitely a servant, and now she's a Death Knight. Uh, how many Paladins were raised as Death Knights? How many, you know, Knights in service to the Light? Uh, it's it's an interesting thing. Like, if that it if that's the case, are they the same thing Calia is potentially? I don't think they
0: are. Uh, I think the thing Calia is, is very different. Um, Cause I think the light chose Calia. Whereas I'm going to use the example. I always use when we talk about the light and death Knights and undead Zeliac. Zeliac has enormous faith and enormous command over the light mm-hmm. so that he can use it. And here's the thing. Here's Zeliac is a reason why I think maybe death Knights are undead. Because all the way back when they first brought Nax back in the you know, next 25, they didn't ask a C dev when they were talking about what the holy Light does to the undead.
1: Yeah, I remember this the cauterization and, and yeah pain. that it,
0: burned, it, it, it it can heal them, but it heals them in a way that is agonizingly painful to them because it burns away the, the damage. It, basically it's less it's less healing as regeneration of tissue and more while well, all that stuff that's bothering you is gone now but it's like taking a blowtorch to a wound to burn away the, the wound part. It's not pleasant. Zeliac can command the light through sheer faith, but it's agonizing for him. And I think it's a case of, I think the undead are not like, they're not like the Forsaken, but they are like, like, um oh, what's what's the name? He, he's one, the most annoying guy in the entire game. Why can't I remember his name?
1: Ronan? No, no, not even close. <laughs>
0: Uh the the undead who who like literally wanders around looking for like a, one single good word from Sylvanas. he's like an utter you know
1: Uh undead boyfriend
0: Nathanos yep. Nathanos okay Nathanos and Sylvanus are a type of undead that I think death knights are similar to where like they've they they're more they're not like rotting their bodies aren't decomposing because they've used more necromantic magic mm-hmm. the power that they got from the Valkyrie And in the case of Death Knights, it's the power that the Lich King had to render their bodies like in a state like death, but isolated for not touched by it. It's like they've they're dead themselves from that. Their bodies are, you know, further along that path, whereas most forsaken stuff is falling off them. Like if you read uh, before the storm, they talk about like how, you know, it's not so much getting healed as it is getting like, you know, new parts sewn on. Like if, if it gets bad enough, you, your jaw falls out. The best they can do is strap a new jaw on there. That sort of thing. I so I think they are, I think I'm going to say that I think they are undead. I think they're dead bodies, but they're animated by their original souls jammed back into them. And it's a different experience than forsaken or
1: scourge. See, and I they're, think I'm, I think I'm going to go with the fact that not, they're not undead. I'm going to go with something other because we just talked about how they're removed from that cycle and the undead still technically are in that cycle because they can still decay and they still fall apart. They still can deteriorate to nothing. Death Knights won't on their own. It's almost like they've got a one up uh, essentially as far as, you know, looking at it. So I I think I'm going to go with other. I'm going to go with undefined. I don't think I think they're that weird stasis in between state. Well, I hope that answer worked for you, pal. I hope so. <laughs> all right, our next one. Yo, Voyeurs of Hibernus. Uh, Nargalad of Valeria again. This is a three-parter. Of all the Easter eggy NPCs we could find in the Shadowlands, who is the Easter eggiest? Uh, num- second part, why is it Mankirk's wife? Third part, what other minor characters would it, be ter- would it be a terrible missed opportunity in Blizzard's part if we did not stumble across them? As always, thank you for ever so for your sagacious consideration. I mean, I've thought about it would be
0: kind of cool if we meet this like heroic figure, possibly like one of the Carrion, who turns out to be Mankirk's wife. <laughs> but we know that the Carrion don't remember. Or at least most of them don't. They, they very deliberately give up their memories of their mortal lives it's part of the whole becoming a kyrian thing so i mean there's a quest i don't feel like i'm spoiling anything to say there's a quest where you see a tauren,
1: Mm-hmm. uh
0: and the, the kyrian it's like it's a kyrian when you see him but then they put him through a ritual and he's supposed to forget his past life and you're supposed to help him and you see like all the like if that were his life They're his loved ones his, his mother his father his, his siblings his loved ones and you so you know oh that kyrian used to be a Torrent. Uh so very easily Mankirk's wife could be a Carrion. Um But you know, who knows? Maybe we'll go to like Maldraxis and she's like I I think it would be cool if she was like in the military there or something. It would be neat if we saw her, but I don't know that we will. Um I honestly, for me, I'm gonna keep going with something that Anna said a while back. I'm gonna go with, with Amber Kiernan. Okay. Because Amber Kiernan got got royally Cheated out of a good story. She just like she gets murdered out like off camera, to like to like do the uh, rogue order hall storyline. And I, I really felt like that's that she was a fun character. I liked her. Um, I liked a lot of the SI seven people. And then there's the there's there's two sisters, and I can never remember their names. There's two orc sisters that are a big part of the Grizzly Hill storyline for Horde. Uh, I think one's Gorgona, and the other is I can't remember. if It's Krenna or something. But I liked them a lot. They're in one of the short stories. They talk to Josh. Grena,
1: Grena and Corgana Gorgana, because that was the uh, oh I know the question you're talking about. Sorry, but yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah. But but I'd like to see like the one that died. You, you know, see her in the the quote unquote afterlife if you're gonna see like anybody. Also, Blackhand's daughter Griselda. She yes. got royally cheated out of a life. Her father used fell magic to age her up into adulthood. And then like when she rebelled, she got murdered by the horde. Um, th- th- yeah, she, she just really didn't, didn't have a good life. So I, I can imagine her being real bitter and arrogant and that thus she could be in revenge. That'd be kind of cool. Um, yeah. So those, those are the ones I'm thinking of
1: you. So, uh, you and I agree on most all of them. Uh, I, I don't have anything wrong or, or anything in opposition to any of the ones you said. But I'm going to go with a funny one here, and one that if it's not the Easter Eggiest inclusion and isn't in Shadowlands, I will be sorely disappointed. Uh, and this is something that in Cataclysm made me very, very angry, and I've never felt right about it. Bring back Old Blanchey, dang it. Old Blanchey died. In a level 10 slash a level 11 quest. I think it was like murder was the case they gave me. And Blanche has been dead since Cataclysm. And that is a tragedy. I want to see an angelic, spirit, fey-filled Blanche roaming around Ardenweld. If they don't have something like that, I think that they're not committed to Easter eggs. Because that would just be such a deep pull that I think a lot of people have forgotten about. And yes, there are more serious uh, storylines and people that we can we could definitely pull back, but I just think that would be one of those hilarious moments where those of us who've been playing this game forever and remember young Blanche and old Blanche from the olden times uh it would be one heck of a pull have him come have have Blanche come back with the entire uh uh, Furlbrow family because I think they all got murdered. Yeah, they all got murdered by just like random thugs back during that well, time they too.
0: It wasn't actually random thugs; it was their their uh, it was uh, Van Cleve's daughter who, yeah. who did it. Yeah, but
1: but it's like yeah, there we go. Bring back Blanche. That's that's my poll.
0: <laughs>
1: all uh, right, now, I gotta admit, I hadn't thought about Old Blanche. <laughs> Hey, you ask for Easter eggs, you get Easter eggs. Uh, our next one comes from Metal Zani, who I think I saw in chat earlier. So hello, Metal Zani. Question for Blizzard Watch. Hello, thy watchers of Blizzard. With Shadowlands on the way, do you think Blizzard will revamp any classic dungeons? If so, what one would you wish to get the revamp? Personally, I'd like to see Zulfarak revamped to show some connection to Muizala, or to show why Sanferi Trolls can be made in customization. Do you have a a pick for Classic? Because, I mean, honestly, Zulfurak is one that I've been thinking about since they announced Shadowlands. And since this expansion with Battle for Azeroth, that I've been thinking that Muehzala was one of the ones orchestrating a whole bunch of stuff in the background. But, like, he hasn't really been an important thing up until this point. There's been mentions of it. I think a nice rework of Zulfurak with maybe some more influence from Waizala and some more insight into the the Sand Fury trolls would be absolutely amazing. It would be something that I actually would legitimately be happy to see. What about you?
0: Yeah, I'm going to say I don't really want to see any more dungeons get revamped. Uh, I feel like we've kind of... We've lost a lot of dungeons over the years, not lost them exactly, but they've changed enough that you don't get the original experience anymore. And in some cases that's for the best, like Maradon, Maradon, mm-hmm. do a Maradon the old way.
1: No, no, thank you.
0: Oh, oh God. But that was just not my thing, buddy, but I, I, I will say this, um, I, I won't say it. What? Why mouth not work? What <laughs> happened there? That was really weird. It's like brain can't quite make sentences. I, I don't, like I said, I don't really want to see any dungeons get revamped. I mean, if they did revamp Zulfurak to bring in more mozala that's fine, but it's not something I care about. I, I almost want to see him in other places. And I don't feel like going back to Zulfurak and redoing it. Will, it'll it'll give you more of that, but it will take away all the weird stuff that was already there. And I kind of want them to keep that. Sure, But, yeah, I guess that is my answer. I don't want to see them do that. So, yeah. yeah, It's not going to upset me, and if they do it, fine. But for me, I just don't feel it. I'm just not interested.
1: I've got a counterpoint, though, and this is something that I hadn't really, really considered up until this point. I've been a pretty staunch opponent to WoW Classic. It's not something I personally want to go back and experience myself because I, I hate, I always say this and I did my time. I did, I did those things, but, and this is sort of like the caveat here in circumstances like this, I think it has incredible value as sort of a living archive. Like Zul is a great, th- this, this whole scenario is a great example. They could do a new Zul that feeds in the Moezala thing that does all this other stuff but because we have access to wow classic right now and it's not going away at least not anytime soon it's still popular people play it they're still looking at doing like some things with the future they're still releasing things here and there for it i think they just released the troll dungeons right their troll raids i think so like zul'gurub they did yeah not for a while yet yeah so it's still preserved and still technically playable so we don't actually lose it, it that it, it, I've never thought about it like that before until this question. So thank you, uh, metal because that's pretty cool. I think yeah, that they could for do me.
0: That. Yeah. For me though, whilst losing the stuff that they've already taken out is kind of a reason. It's not my main reason. My main reason is I simply don't care. Like I'm not, the question is what one, if you do you want them to revamp anything in, what one would you want them to revamp? <laughs> But I don't want them to revamp any. Sure, I'm not that interested. Um, I will do them to get my character up to like level fifty and start doing Shadowlands content. But I'm much more focused on what the Shadowlands content is. And in the past, when they've done revamp dungeons for like current expansions, like when they revamped uh, Blackwing, not Blackwing Lair, um, Blackrock Spire, they they revamped Blackrock Spire in mm-hmm. in uh, Warlords, for instance. Ended up with me just not having my old Blackrock Spire. And, and it's like, yeah, you can say it's archived, but I still can't go with my character to Blackrock Spire anymore. Sure. You know, I if I do, I'm in the other Blackrock Spire, which is not the one I want to go to. I want to go to this one on my level 120 character. Luckily, I already have everything I want out of that place. Um, but, like, let me put it this way Remember the dungeon sets? Yeah, I do. They're gone. You have, to, you have to have to get
1: the replicas now because you can't get them yeah. anymore.
0: And that's something I don't feel like should
1: should have happened. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know why they were I don't know why they were ever removed and not or not so put somewhere if, else really.
0: If you do a revamp of Silver rock, you have to be careful like do you keep the gear? Do you like the big bad pauldrons and all that stuff or do you redesign everything to make it like fit the way gear looks now? The, the, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I'm saying for myself I just am not that interested. It's just not something yeah. I care about.
1: Totally, totally fair. I'm just appreciative of the question making me think about something that I was previously against in a different way, which I always appreciate. So thank you for that. Uh, our next one comes from Nightchild. Follow-up question. So you established that Jaina could have done more at Stratholm. I don't remember what feelings Jaina works through in BFA. My ally Gil fell apart, so I moved to Horde early in BFA. Does Strathom feature in her regrets or do you think she has recognized that history?
0: Oh, you definitely see like she has regrets about what happened with Arthas. Oh yeah. Um, but she has regrets with like a lot of things. It's, it's not like he dominates her life or her, you know, regrets. She regrets, but she does regret what happened with him. She regrets what happened with her father. She regrets a lot of things. Um, she regrets working with the Horde as long as she did. Even even now that she has worked through it and has come to the point where she recognizes that she can work with the Horde again. She regrets what it cost her and the deaths of everybody at, at Theramore is a big, it's a big wound that she has not, it has not closed up. It's, she has moved to the point where she can accept that it happened, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely something that is there. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think she regrets what happened with Arthas. But I also think to a certain degree that just because I said that stuff about her having been able to have done more doesn't mean that she necessarily sees it that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, for one thing, she was she was Antonidas' apprentice. She wasn't on the council. You know, she wasn't one of the council of six at the time she would have at most she'd gone to Dalarin, like teleported there and said immediately, this is what's happening. There's no guarantee that they were to come in time.
1: No. And we've also seen like in the past, like the resistance of the council to do anything half the time back then neither. So like, you
0: know, their solution might well have been to like, you know, hit the thing from like Dalaran with like flame blasts. We don't know what they would have done if, or they might've wanted to form a committee and talk about it because it. to be fair. When Kel'Thuzad was experimenting with necromancy, and they found out, they did nothing to stop him from continuing to experiment with necromancy. Mm-hmm. They just kicked him out of the council. Yeah, and they left him with all his research to do whatever. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna confiscate his research, but they didn't stop him. like you know, he had his research in other places. They really cost him nothing except their scrutiny. Mm-hmm. They stopped paying attention to him. So, yeah, I I think that there's. It's easy for me, the, the player, to, to sit around and go, oh, she could have done this, she could have done that. But it's not necessarily the case that Jaina sees it that way.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's that's the hardest part, right? Like, And that's something we always have to consider. Whenever we talk about this stuff, we're always looking at it from an outsider's perspective. And one of the hardest things to do if you're not the one writing the character is put yourself in that character's position and sort of realize what they feel and what they can see. And, like, I can guarantee you, you know, Rossi and myself looking at this, we're going to have a different perspective than, I don't know, Christy Golden, who has written this character and been inside the head of this character at some point, you know, or or anybody else who's had any sort of shaping of her quest or stories in the past. Like, it's always going to be slightly different. And we're taking stabs at it. We're taking guesses at it. Right. Right. So does, is it part of her regrets? She mentions something when she's talking about, you know, Arthas in several different locations that it is a regret, but it's not a regret of, I could have done more by being super powerful mage lady and going and doing mage things. It's I could have found another way to help him or stop him from going over the edge. Is there more to it? Maybe, but a lot of stuff that we talk about is just speculation. It's, it, I, would definitely think, like, if I'm speculating, Strathholm has to weigh on her if, for nothing else, she's an incredibly empathetic character. Like, that's been her thing since day one. Even when she was, like, super angry and doing that whole angsty thing that they wrote her through, it was because she felt so much pain and anger out of everything that happened because she feels so deeply. So, is Strat one of those things? Probably. She hasn't flat out said it though. And until she flat out says it, we'll have no idea, but I think it does. weigh. I, if I had to guess, I would say that it probably weighs on her at least a little bit. Anything else you want to add to that one? No, I think that one's pretty covered. All right. Our next one comes from Shadana, who I hope had a wonderful game with uh, their, their kid. And I hope our suggestions over the last show helped with, uh, Picking a system. Uh, So also, while I'm on a roll, in a recent podcast, y'all discussed the problem of gathering story plot points because the zones limited to one faction. I'm actually fine with that, though. I think the people who care about the storyline as a whole, with the exception of Rossi's struggle to play Horde this expansion, will play both factions. I enjoy not having all the information from one character. Uh, I could see both sides of that coin, I guess. Like... If you're really deep into to your character and the immersion of your character, it makes sense. Like if you're someone and Rossi talked about this a little bit earlier, I also have written an incredible amount of RP revolving around my character Loader, who I've had for you know, he existed five years before WoW was a thing and then became a thing in WoW and has been, you know, my main OC, don't steal, for, you know, that entire time. And I have certain feelings of how he approaches things and how he sort of looks at things. But me as the player, I like having access to all that information. And so I, I see that there's a value in both. There's a value in having it be faction-specific where you have to play both to get it. But some people don't have that time. Some people want the story but can't level something on both both factions. And that gets into that weird, how do you balance that for those and that's where it becomes a problem. It's, it's almost like that where story used to be hidden in like mythic level rating. And unless you were a mythic level raider, you didn't get to see some very key things like Chogol. Uh There's so many odd things that, that you just miss out on that made players feel bad. And sometimes with the, the faction specific stuff that happens as well. And I don't know where the balance point is for that, but it's definitely not an easy one to find. What do you think?
0: Um, well, I mean, you know, if you really cared about the lore, you'd, you'd, you'd mythic raid. <laughs> Obviously, you don't care that much. If you, Otherwise, you'd get a mythic raiding character. I, I mean, sometimes I think we, the people who play this game, forget what it's like to not be us. Yeah. Like, it, it, for every person has a different time and commitment thing. Like, where some people, like, you know, really, really like the game and really enjoy playing it, but can only play for like an hour at a time because you know they have kids and jobs and life and you can't you know when i first started playing wow it was at a a time in my life where i had a lot of free time and i was like i'm i was older than most people playing it were um i was in my 30s and so but i had I, i was in a situation where i was home and i could play and so it wasn't an issue for me but nowadays Every alt, the, the reason I'm even thinking about leveling my Horde alt right now is because I'm going to have the, the XP boost. Otherwise, it's really hard for me to, to level that character and like they're alone. like Because your Alliance and Horde characters aren't together, that it's just easier to level up more characters in the same faction, whatever your faction is. It's easier, to, okay, I'm going to level another character, but if I level them on this side with my other characters, I can send them money when they need it, I can get them stuff they need. Whereas if you're playing on the other faction, you don't, if you don't have any characters over there, then that character is on their own. Yeah. And unless you're in a guild or something with a support structure. And that's... It is a pretty big time commitment to ask people to do just so they get to see the story. Especially right now, where like in order to see the Battle for Azeroth story, you have to have a character who starts at level 110
1: and it's a lot to play through especially yeah, with like the you, war you campaigns and everything else if you
0: don't have that character then you know you're going to have to get up there first then you it's more doable now with the xp bonus and you know a lot of us are home so i don't i'm not going to say up front that it is too onerous to ask cuz i don't think it's it, it is entirely beyond the pale to I expect people to play both but at the same time if people don't have the time for whatever reason they should still be able to understand what's going on. Um, especially, like, I think Battle for Azar's went a little too far, because you're an Alliance character, but you have no idea why you're going to Aldir. It's it's barely mentioned. If Even if you do the quests in Nazmir to unlock it, you still barely have an idea of what's going on with G'huun. You're like, mm-hmm. um, I guess he's bad? He certainly did one bad thing, like, that, that whole Joseph Conrad Heart of Darkness thing that we've done multiple times in WoW now. We did it again. We even named the character Conrad this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really do feel like there's, there's a line where it's not that you shouldn't have unique stories for each faction. It's just that you shouldn't have a raid where one faction really understands the stakes and the other faction is like, well, I guess there's bad stuff here. Okay? And that's old oh dear. I, I will I will never believe that Uldir was ex- executed both properly for both factions. If you go into Uldir as Alliance, you barely understand why you're there. Um, if you've played both factions, then you, oh, okay, Blood God, real bad. But that's only if you've actually seen the, the Nazmir quests. Uh, and I, I did them on the beta, which meant all those really cool cinematic moments weren't in the game yet when I did it. So I don't know the story piece. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just, it gets to a certain point. Like I, I was just on the shadowlands alpha today and there's a certain point in the storyline where it's like big, amazing thing happens and it just moves on to the next bit. And I'm like, okay, well I'll get to see that when it goes live. But if it was battle for Azeroth, I wouldn't get to see it when it goes live. Cause I didn't play Horde, you know? And that's, I think that it gets to a point where it, it can be too much. It's not a bad idea. It's not just always bad. I just think it's execution in Battle for Azeroth was a little off.
1: Yeah, no, I think I can agree with that. All right. Uh, We have one last one left. Uh, Actually, it looks like it's a bit of a long one. So let's go ahead and get it. Greetings, watchers. I hope you are doing well during lockdown. I have two questions concerning the Diablo world. First question is inspired by a topic from a recent episode. Tyrael is afraid of what we might become if our mortal hearts are tempted by power, power that can easily be bestowed upon us by our loving mother, Lilith. Would you like to see the Nephilim from Diablo 3 becoming quest bosses or other important NPCs in Diablo 4, similar to the playable characters in Diablo 1 becoming important characters in Diablo 2, Bloodraver, the Summoner, and Diablo's Vessel? Second question, do you think that we will travel to Scovos Isles in Diablo 4? I imagine they already have the fundamentals of the place, as it was in the works for Diablo 3. What do you think their artifact, the Sightless Eye, uh, it is said that it allowed communication. Could it have been used to communicate with Lilith while she was banished? Regards from the North, Across the Atlantic. I uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about this quite yet. I'm just gonna let you go because I know it's Diablo and I'm not gonna stand in your way. Okay, I'm gonna go with the second
0: part first. Then uh, I don't think the sightless eye was used to communicate with Lilith because if I don't think that's how the 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 Amazons go about it. I mean, Scovos has got a lot going on, uh, and I don't mm-hmm. think that that's something that they would have done. But I do absolutely want them to go to Scovos. I've wanted them to go to Scovos for years and years. Oh yeah uh, we've never actually seen Scovos. Uh, it's been mentioned, but we've never actually been there. So yes, I definitely want to see Scovos at some point. Um, as for the Nephilim, this is one I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, one of the things I want I, I do think that they have to do something with the Nephilim. Um, to a degree they they set up a situation where they have this this important character discover their power and eventually become practically unto a god. Like by the end of Diablo 3 Reaper of Souls, you've beaten the entire the power of all of the, the the evils in one go. You've beaten Diablo when he's when when he's channeling the power of all seven evils. Then you beat you know the the, the former Archangel of wisdom, now the angel of death While he's using the power of all seven evils and his own power and the power of death that he got access to. So he's already like he's God moding it. And then you come in and you God mode back on him and beat him and kill him. And you're standing there and Tyrael's wetting himself going, oh, this isn't good. Because Tyrael realizes he doesn't think that the hosts of heaven and hell could stop you.
1: Which was so, always the fear to begin with, right? Like, that's what started so, a lot of this trouble in the first place.
0: Yeah. So here's the question. What happened to that person next? Like, those Nephilim... If we assume that those Nephilim were all somehow there... if Because if you played in multiplayer, you, you're going to see other Nephilim doing other stuff. If we assume that the playable Nephilim were all there at, at those events, they, they banded together to fight Diablo, they banded together to fight... Um, Malfiel. What did they do next? Where did they go? Like did they just not go back to sanctuary? Like because sanctuary it seems like it didn't get a lot of help. And if they just, if they went back to sanctuary, you would expect that they might carve out their own fiefdoms. But did they? Is that what happened? Is that why the world didn't get reunited because you know squabbling god kings are ruling it all over it and they're neglectful? I mean, who knows? I don't know. I would definitely like to see what happened. Where did they go? Um, and for that matter, I don't know. I mean, it's just there's a ton of stuff I would like to see them do with that. Like the idea of what they, what the Nephilim have been up to. What what happened to them? Are you playing a Nephilim in Diablo Four? It doesn't seem to be the case. Um, but but anybody could theoretically become a Nephilim now that the Worldstone's destroyed. Any human, that's it's. It's the birthright of every human on that planet. Mm-hmm. It's why Lilith is coming back. Uh, so that's an open question. I mean, you're certainly drawing upon, you know, the, the, I played the demo. You're drawing upon some ridiculous powers. So where are you getting it from? Are you getting it from your Nephilim blood? You know, that's there's questions that I've, we don't have answers to right now. Um, but I would definitely be interested in seeing that. And I, I'd love to see Scovos. I think that would just be brilliant. Um, especially, I mean, we don't really know exactly where Scovos is. So, yeah, it could be off the coast of the part of the world they're going to show. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm down for that.
1: Yeah, I also very much want to see Scovos. I've wanted to see Scovos for ages and ages and ages. Uh, I also don't have any idea how the the art their artifact works I've don't think they've ever really explored it in any of the medias so it'd be interesting to see if that's even something that they talk about or if that's something that becomes a center point because powerful artifacts now that the world stone is gone might be a focus so maybe it becomes a plot point where we're going to Scovos to stop Lilith or insert person here From getting it, maybe it's a Nephilim going to go grab it and we have to we have to stop them from getting it for whatever reason. There's a ton of things that could happen there. And also with Lilith coming back, it's the idea of of seeing what the Nephilim are doing is is real interesting to me because I keep going back to this like the Sin War books and, and the Sin War trilogy and thinking how Lilith was able to sort of push and goad and coerce. And she didn't really have to do a whole lot, right? Like she didn't she didn't have to orchestrate big grand things. Eudyssean just kind of like she nudged him. She knew what buttons to push, and he went for it. Now, what if she starts doing that with the Nephilim from you know the last game? What it, you know us with a terrible power that destroyed you know heaven and hell alike. What happens if she's whispering in those ears? What becomes of those folk? And. You know, Matt brought up a great point. What even is a Nephilim at this point? Like, anybody can become one. We don't know, like, how that's going to play out. Is every human just going to be insanely powerful in some capacity? Like, there's so much that could that they could do with this. Uh, for me, I'm just excited. It is really what it boils down to. I want to go to Scovos. I hope we go to Scovos. I hope we get to see a whole bunch of other stuff. I, I want to see you know, more of more of that sort of raw old power brought in because nothing like the Sin War power level has really been in game until recently, and I'd like to see what happens after.
0: Yeah, looking at the map, by the way, I went back and made sh- opened up my old Sanctuary map. Um, the Skobos Isles are off the coast of the area that we're going to see. Um, we're actually, I think, right now we're basically going to be seeing mostly the, you know, from Skosklen south, uh, south through the dry steppes to Kyrgyzstan, to the, uh, you know, the swamps and the area where the witch doctors and crusaders are from, into the south of Karast and the Karajan jungle. That's the area we're going to see up front. And Skovos is just off the coast, so it's possible they could go there uh, within the, you know, within the, the game. But if not, could always bring it in for an expansion or whatever. I definitely want to see more Scovos, and um, I'm going to also make this point too. While we're talking about this, we've we've been speculating a lot about who that is in the cinematic, and a lot of people have have made the point that it might be uh, Linarian, uh, Lilith, and uh, Rathma, basically mm-hmm. Lilith, Lilith and uh, Inarius's son. But we don't know for sure. It could be the playable necromancer. Okay. It just occurred to me it could be him.
1: Yeah, because he was doing a whole bunch of weird stuff in 3. Yeah. Like, when we come across him, he was researching, like, soul disturbances in each instance, wasn't he? Well, I mean, the other thing is I meant the the playable, the
0: the Diablo 3 playable one, not the Diablo 2 playable one. We don't see the Diablo 2 playable one in Diablo 3. We see his apprentice. Right, right. But... That's interesting in and of itself. So there's there's a lot going on that we could see more of. But yeah, I, I think in general um I would definitely like to see more. And I'm I'm gonna just stop there. <laughs> Otherwise we'll stop at some point. Yeah, the show's already getting to the point where it needs to end.
1: <laughs> well that brings us to the next segment, which is Blizzard Watch, is made possible due to the generous contributions at Patreon.com/BlizzardWatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh,
0: thank you very much, Joe, and uh, for all you guys out there, thank you very much for being here. If you've got an email for the show, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com uh, subject line podcast at blizzardwatch so we know it's for the show, or just mention Diablo because I'll grab it um, or you can you know, go to our, our Patreon Q&Podcast questions on our Discord and ask it there, and we, we take those too. Uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, this has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast, and we'll see you next week.